Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother, for leading us in worship. And all of you have led us in worship and song. As we dismiss the little ones, I know y'all are so grieved that they are leaving this room. Uh, I meant that. Some of you are grieved that they're leaving. That parental tug wants them to sit still and stay here. But uh, we have our time in God's Word this morning. I want to I dive into God's Word. Before I do that, um, I want to thank you all, Mosaic Church, for having me. Uh, thank your elders, your leadership team for loving on me and my family and, and blessing us and saying, hey, come and minister to our people. Um, it is our privilege to do that. Um, your brother, Kyle, uh, is away preaching in Colorado, so I'm definitely going to pray for him. Um, as he's ministering the Word of God uh, in a different state. So we want to pray for our brother. And then also want to shout out to my wife and kids that are here. Babe, wave in the back. Matina's here with me. Um, she was actually going to go to the church that we're currently at, Omni Fellowship, which is another friend and partner church to Mosaic. Um, so uh, before I dive into the Word again, uh, let me pray for us, pray for our brother, and then we will look to the scriptures together. Our Father in heaven, here we are now to hear from you. We need you. We know that you're a God who speaks to us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Thank you that you are faithful to demonstrate your goodness to us through the scriptures, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word so grateful, and that in the Word of God, we are transformed, we are changed, and so, Father, right now, we pray, Father, come. Spirit of God, come. Lord Jesus, be exalted. Come, O oh God, and, and help us, your people, to look more like you. We pray for our brother Kyle. We ask that you would bless him and minister through him greatly and empower at our other brother, JT's uh, church, where he leads your people as well, asking for the ministry of your word to go forth there, that disciples would be raised up, encouraged, um, trained in righteousness for your glory, just as we pray it here. And so now, Father, as we turn to the word, Father, soften our hearts, help us to hear this word, if not for our immediate season of life, Lord, for a time to come, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we turn to the scriptures this morning, we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter 6. I know that you all have been working through Romans, and so I've been assigned the task of picking up in Romans chapter 6, 12 through 14. Uh, perhaps I was in the restroom and I, I didn't hear it read. Uh, was it read? Was it read? If you don't mind, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able and willing, please stand. I'm going to read just these quick three verses, and then we'll dive right in. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14 reads this way. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, 
since you are not under law, but under grace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, beloved, we live in a world that is full of change. For example, uh, the seasons change. And I can't tell you why the earth's axis continues to point in the same direction for 365 days a year. Uh, But perhaps maybe that has something to do with aiding the, the changing of the seasons. But I can't tell you that is why that is for sure. But we do know from Genesis 8 that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease, according to Genesis 8.22. So there's this changing of the seasons. And that is what we know from just one of God's inanimate creations. But what about God's animated creatures? What kind of change should we expect to occur in... Let's say um, a bald eagle, for example. Uh, The bald eagle, whose egg is not much bigger than that of a chicken, when when it's going through incubation, grows and changes to become the beautiful specimen we find in the world, soaring at uh, heights of 10,000 feet above storms and such. And that is just the bald eagle. But what about you and me? What about you and me? How do we change, or should I say transform? Uh, We are image bearers of God, according to the scriptures. We are made differently. We're, We're created in a way that is not like inanimate creation, cannot speak, cannot voice volition or emotion or affection. There is no soul in a bald eagle. However... I love that our brother read from the Heidelberg Catechism because it says that our body and soul belong to God. And so, therefore, there is this idea of change, transformation that occurs in us as animated creatures of God, unlike the bald eagle. Our change is not just a physical change. We change spiritually. For example, when we are born again, that is, born of the Spirit, that is that initial stage of our spiritual growth and transformation, according to John 3.17, that we're born of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us after we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. And listen, however, this is not, this is not quick growth. You will not see any infomercials in the scriptures promising you within the next 30 days that you're going to get an extra return on your stock dividends if you follow this method. You're not going to get a defined six-pack of abs by reading the scriptures. You're not going to learn how to cook like a chef. You're not going to learn how to act like Viola Davis. You're not going to become a mega entrepreneur like Elon Musk by watching this master class. There's none of that in the scriptures. Instead, what you find is that this is God's life class. It's a lifelong journey. It's a process that is carried out over a significant period of time. If I'm going to press home, if I'm going to press home, one main point that you're going to derive from the text, these three verses, is this. Exponential growth 
occurs only within the context of a life that is connected to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Exponential growth or spiritual growth only occurs within the context of a life that is connected to Jesus. And so this call for spiritual growth is exactly why when we read, for example, the Apostle Peter's exhortation to even a persecuted and a broken people, we hear him tell them, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may what? You may grow. That you may grow up into salvation. This idea of this spiritual deliverance, this idea of a spiritual maturity. And he says, if indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So when we step back a bit from that initial experience of being born of the Spirit, what's there? What do, we, what do we find behind that? Insert here the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, we see an articulation of the gospel of God, of which Jesus Christ, the true Savior, is at the center, making much of the glory of God. Romans chapter 2, we see a prognosis of sinful people being brought under conviction of God's righteousness and law. They're not excused from it. They're not excused from it. So the law, again, brings conviction of the righteousness of God and of this law whose standard is high. Romans chapter 3, we see a righteous standard of which no man or woman can obtain. And yet Paul, being used by God through the Holy Spirit, writing the scriptures, records the pathway to it. So Paul states, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe in this gospel. For all who believe in this Christ. That's Romans 3.22. Romans chapter 4, Paul contends that Abraham is not the path. There is no justification by faith in Abraham. It's not in what you know about who you know. It's really more so only in the one you know. And we as believers, just a quick point here, we as believers have to be careful that our veneration of those who have blessed us does not become idolatry. This can guard us from a lot of the spiritual abuses that we see that are rampant in our culture right now. Whereas believers, we we come into the faith, that infancy stage where everything usually is glorious and there's this joy and exuberance in who God is and, and our leaders, our spiritual leaders are waxing eloquent from the pulpit and small groups and Bible studies and and we venerate them. We reverence them. But All too often, I think that it becomes a a type of idolatry. We have to be careful. Romans 4 contends that the path toward righteousness and justification by faith is not through Abraham. And Israel did not learn that lesson. Romans 4.20 reads of Abraham, of himself, he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong 
in his faith as he gave glory to God. So even Abraham, who, who was a source of the, the people of Israel's identity, so to speak, he himself knew where to put his faith. In order to grow strong in that faith, he put it in the God of Israel, Yahweh. And he gave glory to God because he knew the source of his growth. And so as believers, we would do well to do the same. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, peace with God and justification by faith come through the free gift of Jesus' grace through those who were formerly under condemnation. The Bible says that his act, that is Jesus, the Messiah, his act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And again, before this peace and justification... What was happening? What was happening? Sin was reigning. The Bible says in Romans 5.21, it says that sin reigned in death. What a tragic picture. Because there's no way out of it. There's no way out of it apart from the Savior coming, everyone is being reigned over, ruled over, dominated, oppressed even because of sin's tyranny. But Jesus has come to set us free. We finally come to Romans chapter 6, and now what? Now what? We get to Romans 6. And we see that finally, after all that has been said, we come to this place in in our text where there is a kind of determined rigor for spiritual growth, a spiritual warfare even. And here we find out how to live a life under grace. So if you're a note taker and you want to put a, a tag on the sermon, you can call it a life under grace. So in Romans chapter 6, Verse 14, that's where we find our tag, that we are ultimately striving as we come through the text of Romans chapter 6 by the help and the illumination of the Spirit to learn how to embody a life under the good grace of God. And so Romans 6.11 first says, before we get there, You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the picture. This is the idea that as we come into a world that is invaded by sin, this original sin that is perpetuated by us as image bearers, we need to know how from God we can escape the tyranny and the the dominion of darkness that we have succumbed to. And I believe that Romans 1 through 5 is really just the indicative way in which God teaches us the pathway out of this spiritual prison. And then when we get to Romans chapter 6, What we see embodied here and what we see for us through revelation, through God opening our eyes, is 
now a way to exercise, to actually begin to move because of what God has accomplished. How can you tell somebody who was shackled up in chains to be free unless someone comes with the key and releases them? You can't. Where's the key? Beloved, Jesus Christ is the key for us. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is the key for us. We place our faith there. Not in any other place. Not in any other person. How can I illustrate this? The word of God has spoken to us clearly. That once we are born again of the Holy Spirit, we are free. Our nature is new. We are no longer sinners by default. Now, you can get into it with your elders, and y'all can chop it up over the simul eustis impeccator, and you can talk about justification by faith, and you're still a chief of sinners. Y'all can get into that. What I'm saying is that our nature has changed. Paul says we're saints, meaning we're set apart in the holiness of Jesus Christ and in the grace of God. And now we have the ability to move forward with power. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Listen to this illustration. Let me try to make this point about how we've been set free. I like Marvel, y'all. And uh, where the DC people at? I don't want to offend nobody. Y'all DC in here? So appropriate for our culture. Listen, Marvel has some great movies. And one of my favorite movies is actually a movie called The Endgame. In this movie, there is a scene where Captain America and Thor are fighting the the, the titan Thanos, this evil and wicked dude. In this scene, Thanos is putting them hands on Captain America and Thor. And, And they're trying to double team him and fight this battle and Thanos, this evil, this evil character, I mean, is leaning into these guys. I mean, like, you know, and he knocks out Captain America in one scene. Captain flies across the screen. He's knocked out. Thor runs into the scene. Thor is fighting Thanos. And then, you know, again, uh, Thanos just wells on him and then, like, kicks him in the face and knocks him, like, 50 feet across the dirt. And Thor, uh, Thanos comes over to him. And takes his Stormbreaker, this massive axe. You know, I'm a geek out because I know the names of stuff, right? (laughs) He takes this this axe and begins to try to press it through the chest of Thor's armor, trying to kill him, destroy him, dominate him. And all of a sudden, in a distance, we see this other weapon called Mjolnir, this hammer began to shake in the distance. And it raises up, and this is Thor's hammer, right? It raises up and flies into the hand of Captain America. And then this whole scene is pans over to Captain America, and Captain America's got the hammer, and he's like, like swirling his hammer. And then he rushes towards Thanos and like just Boom, just hits him and knocks him out, right? I would say that that is the kind of dynamic power 
that we're talking about when we know that we've come alive in Jesus Christ. That we are no longer getting dropped by sin. We, we no longer are just taking blows. We're able to give some. And so it's a picture, just a vivid picture of when verse 12 of Romans 6 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Here, beloved, you have now, so to speak, a a hammer in your hands of which to fight back the domination and oppression of sin. This is why the Holy Spirit through the Word says, don't let it do this. This is a command. And we have no excuse. And beloved, you have no excuse to not fight back. You stand in Christ to to make war and to grow in spiritual life with God. Let not sin reign. Let that thought sink in. That this spiritual reality we call sin, this This darkness that is seeking to have dominion and reign over you. It is not simply just trying to cause you to be upset with your wife, say a harsh word to your child, cheat on your taxes, commit adultery, watch pornography. It is not seeking just the simple small acts that bring destruction and distortion. It is seeking to reign over you, according to Romans 5, 21, until death. And this is why Paul raises the imperative command for you and for me to not let sin reign. You can't. Because if you let it reign, you will die eternally, separated from the love and the life of God. And so now, empowered by the Spirit of God, Paul reminds us that we are to not let it reign in our mortal bodies. This word right here, mortal body, this phrase, it's just just the idea of the flesh. Paul talks about this in other places, in Galatians, in Colossians, even in Ephesians. This is where you get the language of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The old self and the the flesh and the mortal body, those are the things that are apart from God, in a sense. But then when we come alive to Jesus, we come alive to God, we now put on the new self. We have a spiritual dynamic that is powerful and new, vibrant, dynamic in who God is. And who God is in us. One of the scriptures that I used to love to quote when I first became a believer, the text says, It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's good stuff. When you just think about that, that Jesus Christ, the living and resurrected Lord, lives in you by the indwelling spirit, 
He is the hope of glory, a glory that you have yet to experience because the spiritual reality that you are now initiating through a process and a journey of growth has not been consummated. Now we're in the the growth phase. But there will be a day when it's totally new, embodied in a glorious reality. Check out what this says. In verse 12, he says that this mortal body, want, the sin that's in the mortal body wants to make you obey its passions or lust or desires. There is a warring that takes place as we grow. This is why Paul says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. And then he goes on and says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so here's how the law is used of sin to oppress, to dominate. Again, if we track back through Romans 1 to 5, we see that Israel had lost sight of the covenant-keeping God who had bestowed on them love and relationship apart from anything that they had accomplished. And he was the one that was to be their life. But they put their faith in the law. They put their faith in Abraham and sought to obtain a standard. And because they could not meet the standard, were crushed by it and oppressed by it. That's why Paul says that you are not under the law. You are led by the Spirit. And so this divine imperative that comes to us It unctions us and moves us to grow and fight and resist. Carl Ellis, in his book, writes this, and I would encourage you to pick it up. It's called The Gospel in the African-American Experience. He's dealing with some different dynamics tailored for their context, but I love what he says, and I think it's fitting here, too, in general. He says, it is God who has preserved our humanity from total destruction by unrighteousness. That is, unrighteousness seeks to reign over us and undo us. And then he talks about the other dynamic of ungodliness. He says, he has not, God has not let ungodliness and oppression whittle down to nothing, his image. He goes on to say, it is God's grace alone that provides the basis for resisting oppression. It is his grace that provides the power to resist oppression. It is God's grace that provides the will to resist oppression. Now listen to this last thing he says. He says, if we leave God out, we leave out the possibility of freedom. Now that's good. In your fight against sin, you cannot leave God out. Romans 6.12 is not saying, do this apart from God. It's not saying do that. And Paul makes that clear in another passage of Scripture. That's why you have Scripture, uh, the analogy of Scripture. That's why you go to Philippians and he says, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore, what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the dynamic of Romans chapter 6 verse 12 is getting at. When you fight against the passions of sin 
and the distortion of the sinful body and makeup of the flesh, he's saying you have a spiritual dynamic that is greater than anything you could ever muster. Your Bible reading plan, your memorizing scripture, your fellowship with people over coffee, your evangelism, those things cannot replace Jesus Christ, beloved. And they are not to be confused as, as, as not uh, possessing some kind of warrant and benefit. They do. But they don't have the priority. The priority is Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Jesus Christ at the, circum, the, the, the circumference of it all even. It's all in all Jesus that makes the difference. And when you hear this command in Romans 12, our hearts are to turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and just cry out, Jesus, make it so. Jesus, make it so. Look at verse 13. Again, another imperative. He doubles down. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That is a, a kind of conduct and a life that demonstrates that we are not the righteousness of God, that we are not in the righteousness of God. He says, but present your members to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Beloved, you know that there are some members that we need to be mindful of. Let me give you one example, or at least one member that we can all relate to. It comes from James 3.6. James says that the tongue is a fire. And this tongue, this little member, is a world, he says, of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's a lot of fire, y'all. And I believe that right now in our culture, regarding how to restrain and redeem the use of this member, we need the power of God. Stay off Facebook, y'all. <laughs> Stay off Twitter. Stay off IG. Stay off of those things. I would exhort you. I would encourage you because as believers, we want to demonstrate in a way that our tongues are for nothing but righteousness are for nothing but the love of God, are for nothing but the glory of God. And it's so easy in that context to get it misconstrued, to get it misinterpreted. And perhaps, again, your godly brothers and sisters here can, can help you to do that. My exhortation is just don't, don't do that. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness, and we need the power of God to help us as believers to demonstrate and to, to give a model of how people can be saved and redeemed and use their tongues in a way that glorifies God because blessing and cursing should not be the case. But for those who are outside of Christ, they know nothing of this freedom. They know nothing of this enablement and this empowerment. And so we as believers, what a great opportunity to just lean into God and say, God, use my tongue. To be an instrument of righteousness in your glory. I want to present this member in Mosaic Church as an instrument of righteousness. It will not be said of me that I have slandered my brothers and my sisters. 
It will not be said of me that I have slandered my small group or, or, or this person or that. We at Mosaic, brothers and sisters, you can say we have sought to edify, glorify, uplift. That's what we're aiming at. How are you using your members? How are you using your mind? How are you using your eye gate, your hands? What do your feet take you to swiftly? What does your stomach say about your appetites, your physical appetites and your spiritual appetites? What does the usage of our finances tell us about who we are in Christ? Are we serving God or mammon? What are the members that God has put at our uh, enablement? What are, what are they telling us about who we are? And we have to be honest about that. Heed the command. Do not let your members be used of sin as instruments of righteousness. Present yourself to God. I love this because it, it kind of reminds me of the reform uh, phrase, quorum Deo, that all of life is lived in the presence of God, but not so much so for the believer as in the presence of condemnation, but in a smiling countenance, in a countenance that empowers and enables and says, you've got my blessing. We present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And what about this being brought to life? Uh, one way to easily think about this is what John says in his gospel in John 17, 3. You probably know it well. He says this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the kind of life that you've been brought into. An intimate, communing knowledge of the God who has revealed himself to you. And you've been brought into this life. And, and it wasn't something that you worked into. It's something that God opened your eyes to experience. And now he says you are to present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Working his will out in the world. And this is a good word for us. But then finally, beloved, we come to Romans 6.14. And he gives this promise to us. For sin will have no dominion over you. Stop right there. Do you realize that? Do you realize embedded in the promise is the enablement, is the power? Submit yourself to God. Go back to James. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. And he will what? He will flee. But he won't flee unless you resist. You got to fight. You can't be bullied. You can't be pushed back in a corner, in a spiritual corner and, 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 and cower. You've got to fight. You've got to grow. For sin will have no dominion over you. One brother used to quote that passage from Philippians to me when I was a younger believer 
I would wrestle with all sorts of sins when I was away at Bible college, and I would come to this brother who was my youth pastor, and I would say to him, man, I just, I can't fight this sin, man. I can't get the victory, man. uh, You know, just in tears, in tears, all the time. And I would, you know, ugly, ugly man cry on his shoulder, snot, and man, I can't win. And he would quote the word of God to me. And he would say, man, listen, brother, God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He would quote it every time, and I'd be like, bro, stop quoting this to me. What does God to do with me fighting? And he would keep bringing me back to the Word of God because this brother knew that that's where the Spirit had power to work. It wasn't in me going back up to my room and reading John Piper. It wasn't me going back to my systematic theology class and and saying, give me some more of that grudem. It was in the Word of God. It's where the power is. Sin will have no dominion over you, beloved, because Jesus is in you. He says this in the second part of verse 14, since you are not under law but under grace. Here it is. Now we live under the grace of God. God's favor and resurrection empowerment. It's a beautiful picture. Let me try to tie this in with another illustration from a Marvel movie. We've got Miles, this living in the Spider-Verse or Multiverse or whatever you call it. And he's trying to understand his identity. And he's standing on this tower and he's in his mind having this soliloquy and he's talking to himself. And he's like, how will I know? Like he's talking to Peter Parker in his mind. Like, how will I know, you know, that I, I can do this? And And he's like, you don't, you just jump. And unlike what our belief system, he says, it's a leap of faith, like it's a leap in the darkness. No, not for the believer. It's a leap into the promises of Jesus Christ. And and, and, and Miles jumps off this building, and I love this. Y'all got to go back and watch this scene. He jumps off the building, and he's like, what's up, danger? And he's just like falling, right? He's like falling, what's up, danger? And then all of a sudden, when he realizes that he has the power and he begins to soar with these webs, he's like, can't stop me now. And it's like, oh, that is living under grace. That when you are called to not let sin reign in your body, you are called by Jesus to go into the face of sin and wage war with his resurrection power because it cannot stop you now. Christ has the victory. And because you're in Christ, beloved, you have the victory. We have the victory. Jesus, our Lord, gives us power. He gives us power. He gives power to the faint. And of this divine power... This is what Isaiah the prophet says, and I'm out of your way. He says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Beloved, this is the power that you have in the Lord who extends a relationship to you through his son. 
And unlike eagles that die, we, beloved, will soar upon the everlasting arms into God's presence. Do not let sin reign, beloved. Keep growing. Keep fighting. All in God's grace. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we need you to help us, Lord. This word from Romans 6, 12 and through 14, Lord, we just pray, Lord, please, would you, would you help us to be honest where we are losing the battle against sin and where sin is oppressing us and, and, and even seeking to still reign over us. Lord, open our eyes as we go into this week, seeking you in your word for strength and power to fight. We are no longer under the law. We no longer have to strive to obtain Jesus, our Savior. You have redeemed us. You've bought us and you've given us life in who you are. Help us to fight well this week. Each man, each woman, each boy, each girl, under the sound of my voice, in submission to the gospel of the glorious grace of God, help us, Lord, to fight. Help us to grow for your glory and for the good of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.